those of you who don't know me, my name is Bex. Um, I lead uh, youth culture along with Tex, who is stood outside with the board. Tex, wave the board. Woohoo! We are leading this space this week for you. It's your space. It's a space where you can all just come and breathe. It's just for youth workers, adults on site. Um, and we hope that it blesses you. Feel free to come and get a coffee, a chat anytime. There are some people, and this, is, this was what I used to do every year at um, Youth Culture for probably about 10 years, was just, this was my hour. I always made sure that I had an hour a day where I could just sit down and listen to somebody teach and um, give me some really good ideas for the following year. So um, do make this your place if, if you would like to do that or uh, encourage your um, teams to come along as well if you see things that you think, oh yeah, that would be really helpful for our youth and for us to be getting involved in and a bit more. Um, so as I say, my name is Bex and I um, started and led a youth group in the New Frontiers Network for about 10 years um, until February this year where it was very emotional um, where I felt God called me to um, uh, hand it over to some other wonderful people um, who are all here on site. Um, so I'm excited to see them all um, here. Um, and now I work um, in London for HTB as head of events. And um, it's been a God roller coaster, but I love young people and I love creating opportunities um, for them to thrive and to uh, experience the power of God. Um, and so, and I really, really um, would love this space for you to just, you know, know the presence of God. If you, at the end of any session this week, want to um, just pray with us, myself and Tex are always here. The green caps will be around. Um, if you've got some things that you want to talk about um, with us, then we are here to serve you um, all week. Um, but be blessed. Um, let me introduce um, Livy to you. Um, I'm really excited Livy is here speaking because uh, for the past four years, before I moved to London, I worked for a wonderful, wonderful Christian charity called Transforming Lives for Good. Whoop, whoop. Yes, you can definitely weep for it. Um, Livy um, has been uh, part of New Day probably from the start of New Day. Is that right? What year was it, Livy? Are we like... 2004 was that the year it flooded yeah. or do we not talk about that and yeah, no, okay good 2004 fantastic um she's also um one of uh, tlg's uh, regional leaders down in the south and um she is hot off the press starting a church with her husband in london bridge um but um you can talk to livy out about that afterwards if you'd like to um TLGs called Transforming Lives for Good, they support and help churches to support struggling children and their families all over the UK. They support um, about 250 churches um, and they do that through wonderful, wonderful programs, um, one of which is early intervention. So it's one coach, one child for one hour a week, you can see there, um, in their school setting. Um, so we train up the volunteers in churches and send them out to their local primary and secondary schools um, to support struggling kids. In, in their setting and um, they also run a program called Make Lunch um, which is helping children facing food insecurity and it's where churches open their doors um, in the holidays and create spaces for um, children and their families to come and eat um, so you probably have heard of Mar Marcus Rashford um, that type of thing of just um, really um, supporting the whole family um, but within a church setting in our case um, so um, 
Livy is here to speak on emotional first aid. This is something else that really underpins all the work of TLG. Um, we really believe that, um, uh, that in supporting their emotional and mental health is, is really the foundation of all the programmes um, that they deliver. So I'll let Livy tell you more things um, and she'll be incredible. Hi everyone, lovely to be here. I'm a, I'm a New Day oldie. Um, my son was in womb for the first new day and this is his last new day where he's allowed to come as a delegate so I've done 18, 18 new days, 19 new days and uh, it's really lovely to be with you guys again this week. Um, like Beck said we're going to look this morning at emotional first aid. This is actually um, an introduction to emotional first aid. TLG uh, offers a free online webinar that any of you can sign up to. It's 90 minutes. I'm going to take extracts from that webinar today and share them with you here. So this is like a kind of a taster. You'll get about half the content here. I would really recommend that you sign up and do the webinar and get the full content. Um, and everybody loves a freebie, right? Everybody loves a freebie? Yes, of course you do. So I've given you a free magazine. So one of those is sitting around you on a chair, on a table, on a whatever. But also we have um, a resource that we are going to give you a QR code that you can download at the end. It's this. It's an emotional first aid guide for parents or carers and for youth leaders um, and pastoral care teams in churches. This is like a really helpful resource that goes with the training course. You can download your free version at the end of the seminar by scanning the QR code that will come up on the screen. Um, that's especially for you guys as New Day delegates. Okay, so um, Bex just told us a little bit about TLG. Um, we support churches to support young people and children who are struggling, struggling with all kinds of different things, including their, um, their mental health and their emotional well-being. Um, and so our role, really, we see ourselves having a responsibility before God to help equip the church um, to respond therapeutically to the needs of children and young people. How many of you were in the big top last night? How many of you felt like, whoa, there we go, yes. So part of what we're doing as a charity is helping equip you for those woe things that come up in church life because we recognize that actually emotional distress in ourselves and in young people is not something that we can just automatically respond to and know exactly what to do. We need training, we need understanding, we need equipping. So that's what my aim is today. Um, the morning after, <laughs> I'm giving you what you wish you knew last night. <laughs> Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to do this in two sessions, two sections. We're going to start by looking at your emotional first aid. So we're going to look at how you can look after yourself as a youth leader, as a pastor, as someone who's concerned and caring for others. And then we're going to look at what you do when you're actually ministering with young people. Just give me a show of hands. How many of you are involved in youth work in your local churches? Pretty much everyone. How many of you are involved in looking after young people in another context as well or instead, like school, social work, nursing, Mental health. Okay, so about half the room. Brilliant. Everything I share today is totally applicable in both contexts. What you need to understand is that we are um, we're developing training that equips Christians, but we actually deliver this training to people outside of the church as well. So we are, we, we are underpinning everything with Christian values, but we're making it accessible to professionals. So you might have someone that you want to invite onto Emotional First Aid to do it with you from another context, not church. So emotional first aid, what do we mean by emotional health? And this is quite important that we're kind of all on the same page. So when I talk about emotional health, I'm talking about us understanding the full spectrum of human emotions and understanding how they get triggered, how they're expressed, and how we can regulate ourselves when we are experiencing them. So we're not talking about emotional health as if 
being emotionally healthy is just having lots of positive emotions, lots of comfortable, kind of calming, positive emotions like happiness, joy, excitement, delight, as if then having uncomfortable emotions like grief and sadness and loss and anxiety are somehow a sign of emotional illness. They're not. God has made us with a full range of emotions. Jesus experienced all of them. The point of this training is not to try and categorize emotions into negative and positive. The point of our training is to help you know how to respond to the full range of emotions and how to be regulating in that process. So when we're talking about emotional health, we're talking about being able to regulate your emotions. Feeling them, yes, but not being driven by them. Think of it as a, um, sitting in a car and who's in the driving seat of that car. Is it your emotions that have the steering wheel, the gear stick, and the accelerator and brake? Or is it someone or something else? And we believe that one of the ways we can help young people and help ourselves is to learn how to have our emotions on the journey with us, but they're in the passenger seat. They're part of who we are, but they're not in control of who we are, and they're not in control of the car. When the emotions take over, push us out of the driving seat and sit in the driving seat, we become dysregulated. We're no longer able to actually process what is happening to us, and therefore we feel overwhelmed and like we've lost control. Some of your young people may have experienced that last night. They may have been experiencing that for the last few months. You may witness that on this campsite this week. I want to encourage you and say, that's okay. That's okay. That's part of us understanding and learning and growing in how we regulate ourselves. So we're going to look at emotional a response to emotions. And we call it emotional first aid because this is not like training for five years to be a medic or a paramedic and coming out with kind of like all the answers to all the questions. This is like, what do you do when somebody needs an immediate response and you're just thinking, all I know is a bit of first aid. I just know how to stop the bleeding, clear the airway, put them in the recovery position. Okay, It's the equivalent of that for emotions. I'm not training you to be counsellors, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, all of those professional services you will need to access, possibly for yourself, possibly for your young people. But you can be a first responder when a young person is in distress. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, you know when you go on an aeroplane, anyone going on holiday after this? Anyone going on an aeroplane? Yes, a few of us. Some of us are really, really looking forward to it. Um, so you go on an aeroplane, you know they do the safety briefing, the bit that everybody always ignores. I always feel really sorry for the cabin crew because it's like they have to do it and literally everyone's like blah, blah, blah. But you know when the oxygen masks, they kind of do the demonstration of the oxygen mask dropping and they say, you know, in the event of an emergency, an oxygen mask will fall from the cabin above you. Anyone actually ever been on a plane where that's happened? No, it's funny, isn't it? You kind of, you sit there thinking, oh, I should learn this. And then you think, well, I ever need it. Anyway, in that illustration moment, the oxygen mask comes down and there's a little moment where they say to you, if you're a parent of a young child traveling with you, please make sure you apply your own oxygen mask before you help your child. As a parent, I have to tell you, the instinct is flip the neck. I would put my kid's oxygen mask on before mine because the instinct to care for others is really strong. But then I stop and think, what use will I be if I have passed out from a lack of oxygen whilst trying to tie the elastic on my 11-year-old's, you know, oxygen mask? The point is the same with emotional first aid. You're going to apply your own oxygen mask, regulate yourself, be in a place where you are calm before you are able to care for young people in their distress. So we're going to start with that. We're going to start with emotional first aid for yourself. And we're actually going to go straight to the Bible. That's good, isn't it? Psalm 23 is God's pastoring of us in a poem. And in this psalm, you see how he cares for us. You see his 
concern for us. You see his shepherding of us. And you actually see all of these things that are on the screen. You see how he connects with us. You see how he regulates us. You see how he promises to restore us. You see how he loves us. You see how he wants to be in a relationship with us. You see how he is empathetic towards us. You see how he nourishes us and how he brings us honor in our struggles. You see hope and you see belonging. These all come through in this psalm. And I really want to encourage you, don't underplay the power of scripture and the truth that is in scripture when we, when we think about emotional first aid and when we think about regulation. So what we're going to do is we're actually just going to start this morning by just sitting under God's care in this psalm. And I'm going to read this psalm out over us. And as I do that, I just want you to notice what words stand out to you, what phrases, what images, how is God tending to you this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm reminds us that God cares for our emotions. That God protects us, provides for us, looks after us, nourishes us and understands us. And it is so good for us to remember that in his word... We have all that we need to be nourished and cared for by him. It's also really good for us to understand how he has made us. So we're going to do this next. For the next 10 minutes, we're going to really dig in a little bit to understanding how God has created our brains. Now, you know when you get like a dummy's guide to something, like a dummy's guide to using Windows or a dummy's guide to, you know, how to use an Apple iPhone. Well, this is like Livy Gibbs's dummy guide to understanding neuroscience. Is anybody here like a specialist in neuroscience? Oh dear, there's a couple. Okay, well, for the rest of us who are, who are not at that level and haven't done a three-year degree slash six-year degree slash postgraduate or whatever, I'm going to give you a whistle-stop tour of understanding how your brain works and I'm going to give you a really easy way to remember it using your hands, okay? Bruce Perry is a, psych a psychiatrist from America who's pioneered in the whole area of understanding neuroscience-informed therapeutic approaches. That means how you therapeutically care for someone, understanding what is happening neurologically in their brain, their hormones, their chemical balance. And he, des he describes five states of your brain. And these are shown on the screen in this dial on the right-hand side. Now, I know not everyone can see these words because you're right at the back, so I'm going to read them out to you. So down at the bottom in the kind of teal color, we've got calm, moving around into alert, then alarm, then fear, and then terror. 
These five brain states, they're not emotions, okay? They are states of your brain based on how much arousal is being experienced by your brain, which is to do with the chemicals that are in process, the hormones, and it's also to do with the, um, the triggers and the responses that are happening at a very physiological level. And this, this dial pictures these brain states one after the other, so you can see how you can move from calm right the way round into terror and you'll see the direction of the arrow because when we're looking at emotional first aid we're talking about moving from terror back into calm. We're talking about processes that we can follow that help reduce us from a state of terror and fear back into calm. So bringing us back through the brain states. It's important to say these aren't emotions because you might be in a season of life or a young person in your church could be in a season of life where they're experiencing some very, very uncomfortable and difficult emotions. They could be experiencing grief, for example, and significant loss. That emotion can be present all through your day, all through your night, all through your week. It doesn't mean that your brain is permanently in terror state. You can actually be quite regulated whilst living with painful emotions. The difference between these brain states is what happens when that emotion shifts from the passenger seat to the driving seat. What happens when actually that emotion becomes the driver and you can no longer regulate. So there might be, for example, someone who's experiencing grief. They could be feeling emotionally okay whilst being very sad. And then something could happen. There could be a memory, a flashback, a comment. Something can come upon them, almost surprising them, and suddenly they move around that dial very quickly from calm into alert, into alarm, and up into fear, and they are unable to regulate. They might start crying, they might start expressing a sense of panic, and you might think, what just happened? Something has triggered their grief to move from being regulated to dysregulated. That's okay. What we're going to do is help them come back round the dial not take away the emotions, not deny the emotions, not try and undo the emotions, give them full permission to experience grief and loss, but in a regulated state. Now you'll see on this diagram on the left, we've got a picture of a brain. So brain, your brain is much more complex than this, but let's just imagine that your brain was simple enough for us to categorize it into five colored areas. If we did that, you can see that the five brain states that you experience are connected to five different parts of your brain activity. Okay, so I want you to hold up your hand and I'm going to teach you very quickly Dan Siegel's model of the brain. Okay, so your brain is basically, and remember this is the dummies guide, okay? Your brain is basically made up of three major parts. We'll start with the part of your hand here, the fleshy part that goes into your wrist. This is your brain stem. It comes up from your spinal cord. It was the very first part of your brain to develop in the womb. The brainstem is the part of your brain that is designed to consider your survival, your security. And this part of your brain, if it could speak, the question that this part of your brain is asking all the time is, am I safe? This is the very primitive part of your brain. Now fold your thumb into the middle of the palm of your hand, so it's just underneath your fingers. Your thumb now represents your midbrain, your limbic system. This part of your brain is very closely connected to your brainstem, but in this part of your brain, you're dealing with your understanding of your emotions and your sense of self. So this is where your sense of identity is coming from, your sense of how you fit, who you are, what your value is. If this part of your brain could speak, the activity here is asking the question, am I loved? Here, am I safe? Here, am I loved? Now fold your fingers over the top of your brain. The top of your knuckles and the top part of your hand, 
This is like the main part of your brain that we call your cortex. This is where most of your thinking and rationalizing happens. And right at the front where your fingers are, imagine this is just behind your forehead. Okay? This is the part of your brain that does all of your processing and rational deducting. This is the part of your brain that makes sense of the world around you. This is the part of your brain that reads signals and situations and then logically and rationally processes those to help you understand what's going on. When the prefrontal cortex, this part of your brain, is, is connected in to your limbic system and your brainstem, you are in a great state of regulation. You can learn, you can respond, you can make choices, you can think clearly. This part of your brain, however, does not always stay connected to your limbic system. There are moments when this part of your brain does this. Everybody do this. Okay. Your prefrontal cortex can lose connection with your limbic system. Synapses stop firing. Chemicals stop flowing. When that happens, we call it going offline. It's like your prefrontal cortex, your rational processing part of your brain goes offline and your brain is now being driven by the limbic system and the brainstem. And when that happens, it's like you flip your lid. It's quite a good description, isn't it, if you do that? Okay? It's like you flip your lid. You're no longer regulated. The emotions that you're experiencing are no longer ones that you can rationally process. You are overwhelmed. You are overcome with emotion. And when that happens, you're unable to think through what you're feeling. You're unable to regulate yourself. You're unable to make sense of everything around you. And therefore, your thinking is really compromised. And, th and when that happens, our role in emotional first aid is simply to help bring your front brain back online. Bring regulation so there's a connection again. Interestingly, the prefrontal cortex in your brain is the last part to finish development. Anyone give me an age where they think the prefrontal cortex has finished development? Never stops. Someone says never stops. In your resurrection body, amen. Um, 25, yes, we have some people that have studied this. 25, that means every single teenager on site has a not yet finished forming prefrontal cortex. Anyone in here under the age of 25? You've still got some time to go, people. Forming and finishing forming your understanding of the world around you and how you organize rational thought. I find it quite scary because I got married when I was 20. That means I spent five years of married life without having my prefrontal cortex firing properly. That explains quite a lot. Anyway, I had my first child at 24 as well, so that's bad for him, isn't it? Because that means I was a mum and I still wasn't finished with this. Um, now, the point is this. Adolescents are a work in progress. They are under construction. Neurologically, a teenager's brain is most similar to a toddler's brain. And you're thinking, aha, that explains an awful lot of things on our campsite. Okay? Toddlers are trying to make sense of the world around them, and they don't do that much thinking. They do a lot of reacting. They do a lot of impulse. They do things, and you look at them, and you go, why would you do that? Teenagers are doing the same thing because neurologically in their brain, synapses are reorganizing themselves, neural pathways are changing. This is really good news for young people because it means there is an opportunity for them to learn and relearn if in their early development these pathways weren't formed in a healthy way, to relearn and to learn good prefrontal cortex use. But it does mean that when we expect young people to regulate themselves, it's like going onto a building site and wanting to put up curtains. You just can't do it. 
So we need to understand where they're at in terms of their adolescence and their regulation, which is why we need to be equipped as those who are helping them to regulate. Okay, when a teenager's lid is flipped, when a teenager is no longer regulating, they are asking the same questions that a toddler is asking. What are the questions for the brainstem and the limbic system? Am I safe? Am I loved? Now, teenagers don't ask you those questions in a lovely, calm, sitting down, explicit kind of a way. Like, could I have a chat with you at the tent tonight? I just want to know if I'm loved by God. If they were doing that, you'd be like, this is the easiest job in the world. They don't. They respond in all kinds of ways. And our role is to be savvy and to understand what are they telling us through their dysregulation? What are they actually asking? What is driving them? What is actually going on? And if their lid is flipped, how are we going to help them come back to a place where instead of asking the question, am I safe? Am I loved? They've got the answers to that question and they're regulated. So when we look at our brain system like this, I'm hoping this is helping you to understand some of the stuff that you may have already witnessed in your youth group. When we understand it like this, we realize how important it is that we have some strategies to move from flipped lid in a state of alarm and terror back down to calm. I'm going to give you it as a scenario, as like a little story to help you flesh it out. And then we're going to move, remove away a little bit from adolescence and we'll just move into a, a kind of made up situation. So let's pretend we're on holiday. Again, holidays on the brain. And we've gone somewhere tropical, like a jungle or somewhere, somewhere totally away from home. And we've booked in for a, uh, a kind of jungle walk with our family. And we're quite excited because this is something that we never get to do at home. And we've been told that we're going to see amazing wildlife in the jungle. So we're probably not in calm in reality. We're probably actually already moved into alert. Because we're out of our comfort zone. We're not at home. We're somewhere different. We're going to do something a little bit different to normal. So we've got some of the symptoms physiologically that would come with an alert brain system. For example, we might have a slightly faster heartbeat. We might have a little bit of a fluttery tummy. We might feel a bit tingly and just kind of a bit wired. But it's okay. We're in control. We planned the trip. We're feeling safe, we're feeling loved, we're very regulated, we're ready for our walk. We set off through the jungle. And then we see a sign. And the sign says, beware of roaming tigers. That was not what I booked in for, for the jungle walk. I was thinking beautiful birds with like gorgeous colours on their, you know, on their plume and you know, amazing sounds of creatures in the trees, not roaming tigers. We're moving from alert towards alarm. What's happening to us physiologically? We're starting to feel like I'm not in control. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm under threat. I don't want to meet a roaming tiger. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Our body is responding physiologically to a change in chemicals and therefore we've got some symptoms. And our state of mind is moving as well. We're starting to ask quite big questions. If you want to think of it from the brain picture, your prefrontal cortex is probably doing a little bit of this. It's going up and down. It's not totally gone, but you're starting to think, what do you mean roaming tigers? Roaming where? What size of tigers? What kind of tigers? Tigers that eat people? How would I get away from a tiger? Would I, can I run fast enough to get away from a tiger? Can I climb a tree? Do, do tigers climb trees? I wish I'd listened more when I was in lessons at school about how you survive a tiger. But we're also trying to be quite rational. It's very unlikely that they would have sent you on a jungle walk if there was actually a tiger. It could be a joke. It's probably going to be fine. It could actually be quite cool to see a tiger. It would make a great story. So we're kind of going like this up and down, up and down. And we're trying to regulate. Uh, everybody wants to be regulated. Nobody's body or brain or mind or spirit wants to be in dysregulation. So we're doing what we can with the skills we've got to try and stay online. But then we hear something that sounds distinctly like a growl. We can't regulate as well now. 
because now we think there actually is a roaming tiger. And now the kind of questions we're asking are more like, am I safe? So we're thinking, where did that come from? How loud was it? How close was it? Was it actually a tiger? Have I made that up? Did I hear any other rustling in the leaves? Our heart rate is going up. Our breathing is going up. The tension in our body is going up. The blood flow has changed. It's now going to all of our major organs. We're probably going pale. We might be feeling slightly wobbly or faint. Our eyes are on alert. Our ears are on alert. All of our systems have moved into threat. We don't feel safe. So we are responding in a different way. And in that state, we can sense, I don't have any autonomy. I don't have any control. I can't control where that sound is coming from. And I don't know what to do. And ah, I can see a tiger. And we have flipped right round into terror. And we are not thinking anymore. Our prefrontal cortex has gone, long gone. We have shut down that part of our brain. The only part of your brain that is functioning now is survival, your brainstem, your very, very primitive brain, which is basically telling you to do one of three things. Fight. Who would fight a tiger? Only one of my 18-year-old children. Fight, flight, run, freeze. You might faint. You might drop to the floor. You might just be completely paralyzed. You're not making choices. It's happening to you. Your body has taken over physiologically, and you can't think straight. Anyone seen a young person in that kind of state? Okay, they can't do anything about it. They have moved into brainstem operation. They are in fight, flight, or freeze. They are totally dysregulated. They are in distress. This is where you guys step in. So, when we understand the dial, we realize how we need to respond to young people when they've moved round into that state of distress. And the reason that we look through this in advance is we need to understand we get there as well. There are moments when we get there. I'll tell you a funny story. About an hour ago, I logged in, no, about an hour and a half ago, I logged into my laptop to check that all the slides for today's presentation had been sent over from the comms team at TLG. And the Wi-Fi, it doesn't exist really, does it? And the 4G is not great. So I sat in the caravan over there and opened the laptop and there, were, there was no slides. Literally, no slides on the laptop at all. I think I've moved into alert slash alarm. And then I was like, I just need to ring the lady from comms and ask her where they are. No reception. No 4G coverage. Can't do a WhatsApp call. She's at New Wine, by the way, so she's probably got no reception either. I've moved around the dial. My heart's starting to raise. I'm texting Bex. This is not very good. I'm having a bit of a technical problem. I'm going to go to the site office and see if I can get the Wi-Fi to work because it's actually not great to be doing a seminar on emotional first aid when you're feeling quite dysregulated. I didn't go all the way into terror. A couple of people kind of caught my gaze and was like, are you okay? Can we help you? I got given a flat white. Someone came and entered a password for me. I think another friend prayed for me and then I was like, come on, Liv, apply what you've learned. And I can't back down. But all of us go into terror, right? There are times when we all go there. So let's be realistic. We need our own emotion first aid. So up on the screen here, I've got six things for you that you can do to build your own emotion first aid kit to look after yourself. I'm going to fly through them really quickly. First one, bottom left, is pictures. Pictures, photos, visual stimulation that help to bring a sense of calm. Pictures are powerful. Looking through your phone, finding a photograph of something or someone that floods your heart with a sense of peace. For a young person this week, it could be a picture of their mum or dad. It might not be. That might be the worst picture to look at. It might be something else. It might be a lovely scene of the countryside. It might be a time that they were having a great time with their friends. In your youth group ministries, your young people will know images that help them feel calm. What are the ones that help you feel calm? 
Think about what pictures you need when you are starting to move into dysregulation. What about fidget relief? How many of you have got young people on site this week that needed to bring something to fidget with in a meeting? How many of you are teachers or work in education areas and you know fidgets are a major part of classroom accessories for your young people? And that's true for teenagers too, not just primary school children. Fidgets are a way of us understanding that our body needs release from the stress. The arousal in our brain can be released through our bodies. So fidgets are not a bad thing. It's not a sign that a child can't concentrate or is super distracted or needs to be told off. Chewing gum, chewing a pen, twiddling your hair, turning a ring, flicking with a bracelet or a watch, getting up, moving around, jiggling our leg. I did this seminar last week and the lady in the front row was jiggling the whole time and I had to resist the temptation to say, I think you might be experiencing a little bit of distress and you're currently fidgeting to deal with it. The point is our bodies are built by God to express emotions physiologically. So fidgets help young people. We want to celebrate that. If that's a way of emotional first aid and regulation, we want to celebrate it. We want to celebrate it in you. If you know doodling helps you feel calm when you are stressed, then doodle and get a nice pad and a nice pen and enjoy it. God made you with ways of regulating. What about the third one, action? Now, for some people, this is quite a, um, there's kind of two different ways this gets expressed. Taking action to look after your emotional first aid is like recognizing I need to do something to change the space that I'm in. That might mean you need to get up, you need to walk downstairs, you need to put the kettle on, you need to make a cup of tea. You need to just listen to the sound of the boiling water, pour the water onto the tea bag, get the milk out of the fridge, get yourself a sneaky biscuit. (sighs) You know when you get one of those really difficult emails or text messages and you can feel, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, you just know, cup of tea, that will help. Some people it's a glass of water. Some people it might be, get outside. You know, like you're in the office at work or you're, in, you're working from home and you've been sitting in that little room all day and you're just done and you think, I just need to go outside. I just need to go for a walk. Around the block, out in the back garden, something to just bring me back down. An action simply gives you a break from what you're experiencing and it can be enough to regulate you, to bring you out of terror and back down into calm. For some young people, they need an action that's quite demonstrative. They might need to literally just move on from where they are into a different context, and that can be enough to bring them down. We'll look at that in a bit more detail in a minute. Okay, what about sight? something to do with scent? So we're very sensory people. God has made us with all of our senses. He's made, them, made us like that for a reason. Smell is a very important part of our neurological processing in terms of regulation, Smell of perfume, smell of shower gel, smell of deodorant, smell of uh, a hair product, smell of sun cream. Anyone feel like when they put sun cream on, they might be on holiday? It's that lovely kind of association for me. I'm like, oh, the sun cream's out. I could be on holiday. Oh, no, it's just a sunny day while I'm putting up a tent at New Day. Um, But the point is the scent will trigger in your brain hormones that will enable you to calm. So young people might need something that is scented of someone that they love or they care for or that cares about them. You might need something that is scented, that brings a sense of calm to you. Scent is important. Listening. Listening is a really powerful way of bringing regulation. Maybe a particular song, particular piece of music, the sound of 
rain, but not when you're in a tent. But, you know, other times when you're living in a house where you don't worry about getting wet, the sound of rain pattering on the window, or those kind of, like, calming whale sounds, or, you know, the waves lapping. I live behind a motorway, so <laughs> that is not a calming sound. So you have to choose what you listen to, but choosing to listen to something can help regulate you. And finally, something special, an item that for you represents someone or something special. All of these different tools can be in your toolkit for your own emotional first aid. And all of them can be in a toolkit that you're helping a young person build for themselves. Remember the oxygen mask illustration? Try not to listen today thinking immediately, oh, how can I apply that for so-and-so from our youth group or such-and-such -such in my school? Start by thinking, how can I apply this for myself? Because if my oxygen mask isn't on, I'm no good to the young person that's in distress. I need to be able to regulate. If you found last night really dysregulating, you need to regulate. You might need to go find someone on site and say, help me. Last night was difficult. If you find being around teenagers on your site is causing you to be moving around that dial. I mean, I spoke to one teenager last night. It was about 20 to 12. I was like, what is going on on your campsite? I can hear it down my phone. I was like, I think I'm going to pray for the youth team on that site. I think they might be moving around the dial. We need to look after ourselves before we can look after young people. Let's move on, though, and let's have a look at how do we look after young people. And I'm going to give you three really straightforward steps so that you can kind of put these into action this week so you can kind of really grab hold of them and think them through. Now, before we do that, I just want to ask you to sit together and talk about what you think are the signs of emotional distress in a child or young person. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to chat in twos or threes with people around you. If I was asking you this question, well, I am asking this question, what does it look like when someone is dysregulated? Okay, when a young person is distressed, what does it look like in their life? And what kind of questions are they asking? What kind of things are they struggling with? You've got two or three minutes to just try and kind of think that through together and get some ideas out so we can then think about how we'd apply this in those situations. Okay, let's have a little bit of um, audience interaction. Someone wave their hand at me if you're happy to share a sign that you think, please don't identify a person with this, by the way, but a sign that you've seen emotional distress in a young person. Go. Crying. Tears. Withdrawing. Just shout them out, actually. Acting out of character. Lack of communication, so stopping talking. Fidgeting. Hyperventilating. Being snappy. Sorry about that, everyone on my campsite. <laughs> Being restless. Wetting the bed. Shaking. Being destructive. Anyone got any holes in their walls at home if you're raising teenagers? Uh, distracted. Yeah, distractive, distracted and destructive. Confused. Disobedient. Selective hearing. <laughs> Aggression, violence, kicking, hitting, shouting, swearing. I'm surprised none of you said swearing. Swearing. Total sign of distress, right? Like off the chart swearing. Every bad word you can possibly think of just comes pouring out of the ma mouth and you're like, whoa. Running away. Just like exiting rapidly. These are all the kind of, I'm, I'm coming up with, to start with, we're coming up with a lot of the really demonstrative ones that are really obvious. So like you think about a toddler 
who's having kind of a meltdown. Think about what a teenager's meltdown looks like. Shoving, chesting, coming up to you full frontal, in your face, in your face. Anger, hostility, rage, massive sense of overwhelm. You almost, you just feel a bit like, whoa. But then there's the other side as well, right? There's the kind of total withdrawal, complete emotional shutdown, won't look at you, won't lift their heads, won't come out of their bedroom. Self-harm. Like not wanting to talk at all for days. Total withdrawal from social situations. Feeling like for some young people, getting out of bed. Getting out of their duvet. When it gets really difficult to regulate, just even getting up and getting dressed, washing, bathing, doing their hair. These are signs of significant emotional distress. Now, I just want you to get the, the breadth of the spectrum. Okay? It's, it's everything from this young person is no longer talking to this young person won't stop shouting. That is all emotional distress. And so when we're thinking about emotional first aid, we're not just thinking about the moments where it's all like, Rah! we're also thinking about the moments where you feel like, where have you gone? What's going on inside you? Remember, what is their brain asking? What questions are behind their behavior? What are they trying to tell you that they can't find the words for so they're acting it out? You know, I I know young people who, when they get cross, they just hit things. And you want to say, what is going on inside you that makes you feel like the only thing you can do is smash something? They're basically saying, help. Help me. And we need to know how to respond to that help cry, which looks like all these different things that we've just talked about. So the first thing I want you to think about when we're thinking about the help cry is we need to be prepared before the cry. If we're reactive and we have no preparation, particularly in a youth work context, I'm thinking now, we we are unable to respond because we've got other responsibilities. We've got other things that we need to attend to. Young people aren't convenient at the moment that they get emotionally distressed. It's not when you've got plenty of spare time, nothing else to be doing. You're feeling very well in yourself. You've got all kinds of resources at your fingertips ready for them. It's when you are dealing with seven other things already and you are tired and you have a headache and you've just had a really difficult text message conversation with one of your friends and then the young person starts to respond in that way and you think, oh, stop. Have you made a plan in advance for what you will do when a young person is in distress? Because as a team in your youth ministry, if you've made a plan, you'll be able to enact that plan together. You may, for example, be able to say, hey, John, I'm just going to go and spend a little bit of time with Sophie. Can you take over lunch? And John's like, yes, I know what that means. Go for it. The cheese sandwiches are all mine. Okay, you need to have thought in advance, what will you do in your settings on a Friday night, on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning, whenever you're doing ministry with young people, whenever you're engaging as a group, as a team, how are we going to respond together so that we're a team of first aiders? Because sometimes one of you goes to the young person, another one of you covers the rest of the room. And it's really important when we look at these three steps, you'll see it needs someone to be available to do first aid on the young person in distress, but that will mean not being preoccupied by other things. For those of us that are parents here, we know that because we live that at home. Okay, if you've just got one kid, yay, it's slightly easier. As soon as you've got more than one or a spouse as well, you've got multiple things coming at you, plus a telephone, plus a job, plus friends, plus, you know, things like tents that won't go up. And this morning I was emptying a toilet at 6.50. 
in the rain. Things like that are, are triggers for yourself and you're like, I don't have capacity for anything else right now. In my tech savvy moment over at the caravan at 10 o'clock, my son, who's 11, came back from the 12s to 14s covered in custard. <laughs> um, can I have a shower? Not now. Why did you do the game today of all days when I've got seminars? I didn't say that to him. I was just like, um, I'm just going to phone Stu. <laughs> Stu. It's not a good moment. You need to have a plan. You need to have a plan in advance. So I want to encourage you, stop before the distress is, is being expressed and have a plan with your team. And here's a clue for a plan. Three steps, really simple. Breathe, drop or walk, listen. Let's just go through each of these. You need to tune in to the young person in their moment of distress. You need to be able to focus on them. But you also need to be able to understand who you are and how you approach them is going to be powerful in, where, in how you help them. So you need to stop yourself and be ready for first aid. Now, wonderfully, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So it doesn't take very long to do the stopping. You can just be like, here I am, Lord. I'm ready for this young person. And then you move into action. So the first thing you're going to do is breathe. Put your hands across your chest. Put your hands... I can't do it, hold the microphone, but you know, like one arm... That's it. Yeah, one arm on each. Okay. I want, in fact, let's all stand up and do this standing up. It's good to have a leg stretch. Okay. I want you to feel what happens when your hands are over your chest. You're kind of giving yourself a self-hug. And I want you to breathe really, really deeply. Like take in as much oxygen as you feel you can possibly take in. Hold it for three, and then I want you to breathe it out really slowly through your nose. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Hold it. And release. Let's do another one. Can you feel your lungs filling up? Can you feel your heart slowing down? You are regulating your breathing. When you breathe with a young person, they will also regulate. You can sit down now. Breathing is God's amazing gift to us to enable us to regulate physiologically. There is incredible power in breath. If I had time, I would unpack all the theology behind the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, and your breathing. But I'm not going to do that now. I'm just going to leave you to think about that and ponder on it another time. But... Breathing regulates. And so when you come alongside a young person in distress, we would recommend one of the first things you do is think about your own breathing and their breathing. Now, that technique we just did is something you can do with a young person who's distressed. You can say, let's put our hands across our chest and just take three breaths. Sometimes young people aren't ready to do that, so you need to do it first. Sometimes it won't help them to do the hands across the chest. There might be another technique you can use. I do one with a little boy that I look after. I use a finger. I say it's a birthday candle. And I say, we're going to blow out the candle. The out breath is the important one. When you're in distress, the in breath is being driven by the brainstem. <gasps> they don't need help breathing in. Their body's doing that for them. Your job is to help them breathe out. And if you do it with them, you are connecting with them. And you are saying, I'm here. I'm with you. I see you. I see you. You can even say that over them. You can breathe alongside them. You can regulate your breathing to come in line with theirs. You know, sometimes it's actually powerful to speak the Bible at that moment, very gently, very quietly. There's no fear here. There's no fear here. God is here. 
God's love drives out fear. I see you. Let's breathe together. Breathing will bring their heart rate down. It will move them from terror and dread and threat down into a state of alarm and then back into alert and down into calm. So breathe. Secondly, drop or walk. Okay, for this one, we're talking about a big gross motor skill moment where you move in order to help release the tension and the arousal that is in the brain. Two options. One is down on the floor or on a chair or a bed or something very solid. The other is out and about on your feet. So by drop, we mean get down on something solid that feels secure. If a young person is feeling really wobbly, they may just need to sit down. They may need to lie down. They may need you to sit down with them, next to them. Lean up against something solid. Physiologically, when we are in that am I safe state of mind, am I safe, am I loved, we need to feel held. The floor does that. Even grass outside on a wet day will do that. Sitting, sitting on a chair, feeling like your weight is being held. That actually changes the chemical balance in the brain to sit down, so to drop, or to walk. If a young person is really agitated, if you can sense that they're kind of like, they can't sit still, they feel constrained, they feel like this is a claustrophobic moment, get me out of here, get me away from these people, get me, you know, maybe they're in a closed space, maybe they're in a busy space, maybe they're somewhere where they just think, I want to get out, I want to get out, I want to get out. Go with them. I can see you need to walk. Let's walk. Let's go. Go. Out the door. They may even need to run. Good luck with that, by the way. But um, (laughs) sometimes you have to do that. You say, I see you need to run. I'm here. I'll run with you. I'm right next to you. I'm with you. What they need in that moment is not to be on their own, walking and running. They need connection. They need someone to say, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you with what you're going through. I'll sit with you. I'll walk with you. I'll run with you. I'm connected to you. You know, there's a bit of a myth I think we sometimes propagate that we think when someone's experiencing massive emotional overwhelm, they should be left on their own. Go to your room, parents say to children who are totally distressed. Go to your room. What, so they can deal with all those big emotions completely on their own? What about, I'll come with you to your room, let's go and sit on the beanbag. Young people don't need to be cut off and isolated when they're in distress. Now, some of them might say to you, I need a bit of time and space. I need to walk on my own. And you can say, okay, you walk. I'll be five meters behind you. Because you're still saying to them, I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm going to respect your need for space, but I'm with you. I'm going to stay connected to you. Because what they need is to know somebody cares. Somebody is going to be that shepherd to them that God is to us in Psalm 23. You're going to go alongside them. So I'm not saying you have to crowd their personal space. You know, like they say, I'm going to my tent. Oh, I'm coming too. (laughs) No, leave me alone, stupid youth leader. But you say, okay, I'm just going to sit outside your tent for a few minutes. I'm here. I'm right outside the tent. Or I'm just going to walk with you. I'll walk back to the site with you. But if you want a bit of space, I'll just walk a couple of meters behind. I just want you to know I'm with you. What that communicates to them is, wow, you are available to me. And I'm allowed to do what I feel like I need to do, and you're still here. You're not pushing me away. You're not trying to get me to change. You're not trying to make me fix myself. You're not trying to make me do what you want me to do. You're letting me do what I need to do, and you're saying you'll come with me on that. Regulating with them. I'll take questions at the end. Is that okay? I'm with you. You can even say that. Just that really powerful phrase. 
Dr. Bruce Perry, who like I mentioned earlier, who's this psychiatrist, all the research okay, in the neuroscience world, in attachment theory, in, in kind of development of relationships, in understanding psychotherapy, all the research points to this, that relationships are the key therapeutic need of every human being. Relationships, connection. What young people need most is to be connected. They need to know somebody is with them. The science tells us that, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible tells us that. Genesis 1, what does God say when he makes men and women? In fact, when he makes men before he's made women. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, of course, being alone can be really helpful in times. There are moments when being alone is exactly what you need. You actually need to withdraw. Jesus withdrew many times away from the crowd, away from the intensity. But when you're experiencing enormous emotions of overwhelm and you can't think straight, being alone normally does not help because you can't think straight. It's not like, I'll just go and sit in my room and work this all out. Remember? Your lid's flipped. Prefrontal cortex isn't working. Brainstem is driving everything. Am I safe? Am I loved? Can you get the answer to that question from yourself? No. Someone's got to answer that question for you and say, yes, you're safe, I'm here. Yes, you're loved, I see you. And that's what we do when we drop or walk. Okay, finally, listen. Young people sometimes make it very difficult to listen to them when they're in distress because they shout. And it's actually really hard to listen to shouting. But when they are shouting, what they might need you to say is, I hear you, I'm listening. I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to listen to your distress. Even if you're saying stuff that I think is a load of rubbish. Even if you're saying stuff that doesn't make any sense. Even if you're saying stuff that later on you'll think, why did I say that? I don't even think that. You know, toddlers, I've got, I, I, I remember times when my toddlers said things to me and I was like, when you're older, I'm going to tell you that story and you're going to laugh your head off about it. But at the time, they just needed to tell me what they were going through. I wish I had a different mummy. You're the worst mummy in the world. I'm like, okay, darling. <laughs> Later on, you'll be like, oh, happy Mother's Day. I love you. You're the best mummy ever. In that moment, though, you just need to hear it. I hear what you're saying. I hear that you're really upset with me. Last night, I had a little incident with a young person that I'm looking after this week. And he's like, you're so unfair. You're so unfair. And I said, I know. It feels like I'm really unfair. I hear you telling me that I'm unfair. In my head, I'm thinking, actually, I'm being a really good parent. But I hear you. I hear you. I'm listening. Stephen Covey says that most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the, the intent to reply. That's true, isn't it? People talk, and we're already formulating what we're going to say based on what they're saying to us. What about just listening? I hate this, I'm cross about that, this is never going to work, you said this wouldn't happen and now it's happened, you promised me that it wouldn't be like this, you said if I came to New Day, God would really meet me powerfully and nothing's happened in the meeting so far and I've fallen out of my friends and I don't like camping and the food's disgusting and I want to go home. Oh, I hear you, you're not having a good week. I hear you. We're just listening and that, being listened to, brings the dial down brings us back into calm. Listening without judgment. Listening with empathy. I've got this great video to show you for empathy. I'm hoping it's going to work on the screen. Let's find out if it does. Empathy 
it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. That's good, isn't it? Thinking about our tendency to listen to respond rather than our tendency to listen to connect. If you put these three steps into practice, breathing with your young person, dropping or walking with them when they need it, and listening to them, you will be their first aid. You will be their first responder to their emotional distress. Now, it may not be neat and tidy. You may not be doing it in this order. Livy said, start with breathing, then do drop a walk, and then we'll do some listening. No, 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 you may need to start with listening. You may find that you need to come back round to listening whilst you're also doing walking. You may find that walking works for a while, and then actually it needs to be a bit of dropping and then some breathing. So these things are on rotation. But what we're wanting to equip you with is to understand the dial. Go back to the dial. Think about the brain. The young person's lid is flipped their prefrontal cortex has gone offline. Your, your response, therefore, is to think, how can I bring their prefrontal cortex back online? How can I help them regulate? Not how can I fix their problems. Not how can I silver line their cloud. Not how can I be their therapist in the next six minutes in the big top with loads of noise going around me. How can I help them regulate? Because if they're thinking, if they're processing, if they're learning, then... They can work through whatever it is that is underneath the emotional distress. Whatever is the trigger, whatever is the need, whatever needs the therapeutic response from God, from the scriptures, from truth, from you, 
they just cannot access any of that when they're in dysregulation. So our role in emotional first aid is to bring regulation. That's what we're doing all the time. When we breathe, when we drop, when we walk, when we listen, we're simply saying, I want to bring you back online. Now, like I said, everything I've covered here today, well, not everything, about half of what I've covered here today, is in this book, which you can download for free. In a minute, I'll put the QR code up there. You can also book on to the training and do the full hour and a half. Your whole youth team can book on if you want. It is completely free to churches. We, as a charity, we want to help support and equip churches to be upskilled to deal with emotional regulation in young people. So I really want to recommend, in fact, it's kind of my dream that everyone at New Day who's involved in pastoral care does this Emotion First Aid course so that they are ready for next year's New Day when it all comes around again. But also, just to encourage you, you, we've got loads of other resources in TLG that look at therapeutic support for children. And I've laid some of them out on that lovely little kind of seating area down there. Please don't take them away because they're my copies. Um, But if you want to buy any of them, they're available on the website. And we've put a 10% discount on for everyone from New Day. So you can just type in New Day into the um, as a discount code and you will get a 10% off and you can buy any of those resources and use them for your teams some of the resources are just pictured on there and there's your qr code for your free resource i'm afraid it's so small you're probably going to have to walk up to the screen um, to click on it but we're just going to come into land if you've got questions we're not i haven't we we knew that this seminar would fill the whole time to half past but i will stay here to answer questions if there's lots of questions all at once i might answer them in a group if it's an individual bespoke situation you might just need to wait to the end if you want advice on something particular um, I hope this has been helpful and equipped you. Um, I hope you feel like you've got access to more support that will really help you with your youth teams. Um, like I say, I'm here to help and support, and I'm going to hand back over to Bex and Tex. <laughs> Woo! That was so good, Livy. Thank you so much. Um, I really hope that you feel really supported and equipped in this time. And so hasn't she done an amazing job? I think so clear and so simple. And so we really hope that you um, can use those things with your young people just even here this week. Why not practice it? Yeah. Um, uh, The green caps are supposed to be around somewhere. Um, Hello, you're at the back. Fantastic. Um, If anybody would like prayer, if anything has been triggered in today's session, about yourself or anything that you want to specifically talk um, to them about, then please do use them um, talk to any of us here at the front. Is it okay if we just pray together um, before we finish? Lord, thank you for this space. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us to um, meet together, to be connected as youth workers, Lord, and to meet in your presence and just to fill ourselves up with um, resources that can help us, Lord. Thank you uh, for your graciousness to us in that lord bless our time uh, today with our young people as we support them amen amen so just uh, quickly let us know what's happening tomorrow uh, so we have joel harris who has just done uh, some stuff on mental health for young people and apparently that seminar was rammed he will be with us tomorrow at the same time 11:30, and then in the afternoon at three o'clock we have um, a Q&A around agenda and sexuality with Andrew Bunt, who is part of the Living Out team, who I think are next door. Um, so a, a really knowledgeable man, a great organization that's helping the church think biblically around gender and sexuality. And Joel um, is brilliant in terms of helping care for young people around their mental health and uh, just going through some of his content over the coming weeks. I'm really excited to see how he is going to bless you. Um, so again, thank you for all that you're doing in terms of serving young people and um, it's said it's been said from the main stage but we just want to say again like let's keep leaning into our young people uh, i mean such brilliant tools that we can use just as we get back to our campsite now can't we and tonight uh, so thank you for all that
more that you do. Let's keep loving our young people, pointing them to Jesus, helping them uh, journey through a new day. But we'll see you tomorrow at 11.30.